It's the Daily Talk Show, episode 691. Welcome to the show, Jason Robinson. Uh, right I've now, already, I'm saying Mr. 97. There, <laughs> there, there, <laughs> there we go. Jason Robinson, account, accounting guys. extraordinaire. PGA Advisory, how are you? Sorry, not PGA Advisory, very fucking <laughs> BK. Oh my God, this is a night. Wow. This is absolute, another client. Just, it's a client. Just so re- restart. We're not live, we just restart and yeah, do that again. BK Advisory. <laughs> to Advisory. Jesus Christ. Uh, mate, that's right. No, really good, man. Good. Thanks for ha- having me. I thought we'd agreed I was going to be show 700. I thought that was the big one that we lined me up for. Uh, well, look, only we, if you we, show we, us your, uh, back, getting- your, 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 your current back situation. What, what were you just showing us before? Jeez, I thought that'd come up if I did something silly like show you guys this. This <laughs> is my back knobber. I was knobbing my back. So, yeah, thanks. Thanks for uh, it, calling me out straight away. I've got a sore back and we're well, out in Raymond Island at the moment, so I don't have access to my local physio or massage lady back. So, yeah, I've been self-caring oh, that's with good, my man. back knobber. Did you, uh, can you, did you buy that on the island or that's an import? <laughs> No, no, that's uh, went for a trip to the local uh, Kmart in Bansdale and uh, hooked myself up with my back knobber. So yeah. really, <laughs> I mean, correct? Yeah, who's ma- who's Asc- that was essential. That, that was an essential, essential travel. Um, I'm not too sure who came up with the invention, but I'll tell you what: in desperate times and when you're in need, um, I was pretty happy with the purchase. Mate, how's, you said, how's um, everything this is going? Christmas. Christmas. Yeah, you said this is Christmas time for accountants. What's the what's the vibe like this year versus last year? This time is Christmas a shit fight? Is the uncle is the annoying uncle here, and he's actually just really pissed and picking on people, or is it uh, yeah. you know? It's <laughs> yeah, look to, for a bit of background. Um, RBK Advisory, an accounting firm in Melbourne, a um, couple of partners started a few years ago. We've got a decent team of nearly, I think, twenty-five of us in the accounting side. Zero accounting firm of the year. So we're to give you a bit of a scale of the size of what we're doing and, and the clients that we work with, small business clients, right down from sole trader to big companies. And for the Christmas time for accountants, comment that I made was. It is carnage, like with stimulus and job keeper and job seeker and, and all of the things to do with COVID-19. Um, it's, it's, it's just nonstop. It's relentless. And the amount of announcements, like you guys as business owners have, have felt yourselves, it's mm. even rent relief. There's, there's all these things that keep coming and keep changing. And, and all these businesses are trying to do is survive and, and get through the current climate. What's the biggest thing that's changed, do you think, in the way that you guys were operating just a few months ago to now? Well, like like you guys, you're all operating out of your own homes on, on a video screen rather than being in a studio together. We've, we've done the same thing. All of our offices are, you know, empty. So we're in Richmond, Hampton, Black Rock, Narry Warren, a site down in Geelong and Torquay and over in Perth. All of those physical office locations are empty and our, our entire team works from home using Slack, Teams, Zoom, Zero, you know, to, to communicate with ourselves and with our clients. So that's the biggest change from a physical side. Um, the other side is like all other business owners, you know, we're, we're, you know, reducing costs, looking at how we communicate, looking at how we can do things differently. But I guess the benefit for us is the benefit for us. We're already working in a way where we could work remotely. We already had our team members work from home at certain occasions. So this was kind of 
not really a hard transition for us. Um, I guess the hardest part is then transitioning our clients, the ones that still were used to doing face-to-face meetings, going, guys, we can jump on a Zoom call and still see each other face-to-face and talk about how we improve your business and how we can help you right now. And, you know, because of the current situation, they had no choice but to Mm. jump on a Zoom meeting or jump on a call. And they went, wow, this is actually pretty good. I can still see you. I can still talk to you. You can still help my business. And I don't need to come into the office to see you. So if anything, it's going to change the way we do things, you know, three, six months from now. I don't think we'll have as many on-site meetings because people will be comfortable with the new way of doing things. Yeah, but I mean, I like having coffee with you and um, the Mentos at the office where you were is quite quite actually appealing, Jason. Um, what's your emotional connection and do you have one to money? I think we all do, it's probably fair to say. Mm. As an accountant looking after a whole range of people's businesses in different health you know, levels, what is your personal relationship with money? Good question. That wasn't in the questions list pre-show. Uh, so, uh, my well, we relationship you, with money. We, we sent you the grunt oh, questions. Now you've got to, now you've got to deal with <laughs> which includes everything, uh, as you can tell. Mate, relationship with money. Uh, it's not so much. I don't need a million dollars, but I don't need ten thousand dollars. There's a level of comfort you have from working hard and getting a return on the value that you give. So it's a value exchange for for the money that you earn. Um, and then what you do with that money. Uh, I mean, if you've got no hobbies, no pastimes, you know, you don't like to travel, you sit at home and you've got a bank account full of cash, like it's what does that actually mean to you? And, Holy and what shit. Are you do just with he's talking about Mr. 97. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, relationship with money. Look, I, I, I love what I do. And then earning money as a return for that is, you know, it's part of the parcel. I mean, I'd probably do what I do if I earn half, I'd probably do what I do if I earn five times as much. Um, And the relationship with money then becomes about if I'm okay with money and, and good at talking about it, and then I can help clients be better. I Mm. guess there's a satisfaction and enjoyment that comes from, from working with money all day, every day and, and working with business owners and I guess improving their relationship with money. Mm. Uh, RBK advisory. You guys, sorry, JJ, I just wanted to follow up. You see, I think you see people who treat or treat sort of business like a game. So there's that less emotional mm. attachment to it where they're able to make decisions that aren't really connected to, you know, the, the, the dollar figure mm-hmm. and it removes some fear. What, what, for you, have you, like a, a psychologist that has people talking about, you know, tragedy a lot, have you got a thicker skin? Do you care less about you know it's not caring less but it's like yeah do you see it like a game where you can if you play it right you can make more or you make less if you don't play it right what do you what's your sort of are you black and white towards it not so much black and white i think I think I have a lot of the book Think and Grow Rich. Um, it's about having that desire and where you're going and what your direction is. So if you've got a roadmap on where you want to some people create a business to keep for them forever and that's their baby and they treat it like their baby and they nurture it and love it and they get really emotionally hurt. Other businesses sell in five years, 10 years, 20 years or to make money off and not have to work in the business. So I guess it's the understanding of who you are work what they're trying to achieve and that forms the conversation because it's going to be different with every person with yeah uh your um your internet's 
a little bit cooked, Jason. Do you want to jump on to um, uh, 4G? I'll cut to our, yeah, our three yes. shot. Um, so well, we can we can just wait for a second. So, have you done last What's year's happening? tax return? To, have you actually? Yeah, I have. I think I, did, I think I actually did it pretty quickly. Like I, I don't know. There's I usually like as soon as it it becomes available for submission, I'm I'm pretty much onto it. Do you do it all yourself? You yourself yeah, but yeah, it's it's. I mean, it, I don't have much to do anyway, so like it's a pretty easy. It's not like mm. it's complicated. I think this year will be more complicated with like just with like the shares and all that sort of stuff. It becomes a little bit. I don't know what you have to do there. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's the working out how to like what advice to take. What like it serves? How do you reconcile that you're doing the right thing? uh google <laughs> i literally just there's it's just it, for me it's just searching online and just finding all the all the different yeah. things and and sort of just going from there Mason, uh, how, how you going mate mason's uh, mantra is before uh google before pape <laughs> don't listen to scott pape if he tells you a piece of advice directly to your face just don't take it there we go jason <laughs> i think that could be better the cat's moving so i think that's a good sign in the background it's <laughs> a good sign um, the he's back. So with um, RBK, I was curious about the B Corp stuff. So, mm-hmm. what is B Corp for people who don't know, and how and what does it take to to get that status? Yeah, sure. B Corp's a certification that your business acts in a certain way in relation to uh, community environment, how it spends its profits. So, effectively, what B Corp is saying that. It's okay to be a business that makes profit. You don't have to be a charity or a business that puts all its profits into, you know, one particular charity or one particular kind of giving back. What what it's saying is that it's okay to be a business for profit, but it's how you use those profits and what you do with them. So um, the different elements, I guess, for us were our relationship with the environment. So, you know, our encouragement of reusable water bottles, using keep cups, um, donating money to certain charities and at a percentage of our profits going back to charities, um, our culture internally and the values that we operate by. Um, there's all these different things, but for any business owner that, that I guess wants to operate in a certain way, B Corp and its code of conduct and the way you have to operate to be a B Corp. I'd highly recommend people have a look at it. Um, it's super and the process, hard, right? it's like it, it, it yeah, it's lot. yeah, it's look. I think you know, Jono, one of one of our business partners, he he ran with it and worked really hard for it. But it was like a three to six month process of they tear your organization apart. They want to know everything and anything, basically what you had for breakfast six months ago, where you bought that breakfast from. Um, how much you spent on it. No, so not, but there is a lot of detail that they go into where, um, you know, you, you open up your organization for scrutiny and they will get, they gave us the feedback of, you know, you can't do that or you shouldn't spend your money there or you should change banks to be with a more ethical bank um, that, <coughs> as an example. Um, but yeah, things like that. So look, I think it, it makes us a better organization today and also puts us in a community of like-minded businesses. So, you know, right up to the level of your Patagonia and your Etsy and your Stone and Wood Brewing, to be able to be associated with businesses of that kind of, I guess, you know, that kind of level, 
Um, and then RBK Advisory is one of, I think, three accounting firms in Australia that is B Corp certified. Um, so, you know, it puts us in really good feel in a really good land mm-hmm. to be working with mm-hmm. great businesses that are in that community. I know um, it's the burning question on Josh's mind. What was it that you had for breakfast six months ago and how much did you pay? <laughs> Where'd you get it from? Smashed Avo, hopefully with <laughs> yeah. a bit of pomegranate because I love that fresh burst Ooh, of pom- oh, pomegranate nice, when it goes it? off in your mouth. Yeah, it's probably yeah. paid too much. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and probably from Pillar of Salt across the road from the Richmond office. Yeah, that's great. Um, we got some questions from the Gronks. Uh, before I get to that, I just wanted to say, since moving to you guys for all of our accounting, I feel like TJ and I have been able to relax as much as you can relax from a financial point of view, mm. like the the shitstorm that's happened with all the COVID-19 stuff, knowing that not only for us being able to know what happens, but even Bree's getting emails or whatever with his updates and like it's made mm. such a difference. So I think it's, so thank you for that, but also it's great that um, you're willing to answer some of the Gronk's questions around this stuff too, because it can create a lot of um, friction and pain in people's lives. You're welcome, mate. A pleasure having you guys aboard. It's um, always been, oh, it's like co- collecting good businesses or collecting people to come along and work with us. We we want to work with good people, we relationships, which I guess is one of our big things. We don't just want another number. We don't want to just take dollars off someone and hand them a bass or a tax return at the end of the year. It's the ability for you guys to be able to drop us an email or give us a call, um, drop in for a coffee and, you know, enjoy enjoy a coffee mm. together, you know, strong almond latte, whatever it is yeah, that we're yeah. going to be having at the time. And, um, you know, happy days. So, <laughs> um, yeah, no, but, I mean, that, that's really what it's about. Just before the questions from the Gronks, I think it's, it's, it blows my mind, like, um, uh, property managers, real estate agents, like there is such a consistent level of shitness in all of them. And I've had f- four other accountants that I can say they're all like, they're all, had their average. elements of dog shit and <laughs> <laughs> averages and so like it, it seems like you're just going the fundamentals uh relationships work with good people you know it's not just about like these seem like the simple things that mm. i think majority of people are missing and it's yeah it's sad i don't know what do you think it is well. it's like communications the big like just the emails you know yeah, and communication internally as well. Like, I'm, we're very fortunate. We've got a great team, great business partners, great team, and we communicate well internally, which then empowers our people to be able to communicate with you. Because I know, for example, Tava and how he works with you guys, I might not be across all of the correspondence, but I see it all. Tava loops me in. He updates me so that if there's something that I wasn't involved in, I already know what you guys have asked Tava and what he's responded back to you. So, yeah, communication is that huge part of it. Um, without communication, we, we can't do what we do. And mm-hmm. I think that's where, mm-hmm. unfortunately, some accounting firms don't do that. Um, you know, they may focus on other things like being really gifted technically with, you know, their ability to apply GST tax law, which doesn't necessarily excite you guys. Mm-hmm. But I also yeah. think like um, the classic is an accounting firm becoming big and then you end up left with a junior burger doing your books. Whereas I feel like what's great... Um, with what you guys have done with RBK is it's you're actually giving us specialists. So even though we're not working with you as a director all the time, Tava actually knows more about zero and all of that sort of stuff than you in some cases. And so knowing that 
even the people around you are actually in a great position to give us feedback as well? Yeah, we learned that from experience from previous accounting firms. When we were the junior burgers, my business partners and I, and you know, when you just got to learn from those experiences. And then when you create, we created the business, it was laying down the foundations and the rules of how we wanted to operate. Um, and like, you know, I, I'm not going to be available all day, every day. So having someone who knows your business and can work with you is, is important. Um, but it's also still being involved. Like I, if I brought you guys on and then completely checked out and went, I don't need to look after these guys anymore. You know, we, we wouldn't be the business we are today and it wouldn't yeah. be, growing and continue to be successful like it is. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, so Aaron uh, asked, uh, I'm a freelancer with a US client. I'm registered for GST. Can I invoice them in US dollars and do I need to include GST? Can I ref- reflect it differently so they aren't confused by the tax? Yeah, so look, that's a couple apart question and mm-hmm. definitely not as simple as an answer I was kind of expecting. Um, when I put my head around it. So GST payable part of it, generally depending on what he is providing offshore is generally a GST free export. So he wouldn't have to charge GST on those services or products he's sending offshore. Um, When it comes to putting the invoice US dollars or AUD, depends if there's a GST component, you would have to reflect that in the amount of Australian dollars payable. So it is expected that you would then need to put on the exchange rate for the GST if you were going to say it in not Australian currency because you do need to have it as Australian currency. So you can invoice someone in US dollars from your Australian company and then they can pay you in US dollars. But if there is a GST component, you need to include the Australian dollar payable amount of GST on that invoice. So it couldn't just be um, 10%. So it couldn't just be like a US, the 10% of the US amount. No. So I've got a little statement. So you have to put something, for example, the GST is calculated in Australian currency at the exchange rate published by the RBA at time, Australian Eastern time, on the business day of the date of this invoice. Like that's how complicated they make it. Mm. So Mm. um, to answer Aaron, it's not as simple as yes, no, maybe. Um, It's what services he providing. If he does have to charge GST, then he will need to include that extra information. If he's not charging GST, it can be US dollars, GST free. Um, but you're happy to chat to Aaron afterwards mm-hmm. and kind of break it down with him specific to his circumstance. And so... I think... Yeah, like the... I mean, T, yeah, TJ, go on. I was just going to say, with all of this stuff, as you've said, who is someone who has your head around a lot of things to do with money and finance and tax... Um, is like do the does the tax department have a gronk clause where they're like of course a you know an operator who is not really that savvy they're a, you know their bread and butter is drawing on a piece of paper for clients and it's not doing crunching numbers is it like if you did do the opposite is there a way to then back uh you know alterate what you've done yeah, look, the, the ATO is definitely not the bad guy. They're, they're pretty lenient in a sense that if you can explain why you did it, there wasn't, you know, you weren't deliberate, deliberately frauding the ATO and the government. Um, they're people that want to work with people. Um, I know a lot of the time you can get someone pretty shitty on the phone from the ATO, but it's, again, mm. communication. Talk to them about what happened. Talk to them about why you did it a certain way. 
Um, and if you're not good at what you do, then I guess the expectation is that you will go to a tax agent or a BAS agent and you will seek help to make sure that you get it right. Because um, unfortunately, the Australian tax system, unfortunately, is a self-assessment system. So if you are self operating and just making decisions yourself and then you sign your tax return at the end of the year it's on you to know whether you've been doing it all properly if you're not going to go and seek advice from from professionals uh, on the gst this is quite a basic one but i i can't remember what the answer is i feel like it would um help a lot of people when uh, you buy something for a client so for instance say you buy a hard drive there's gst on that you want to um, get reimbursed. When it comes to putting that reimbursement on the invoice, do we have to add GST again or is it the exact same amount? How do you sort of do that? So if you bought a hard drive for $88, just Mm -hmm. to make the numbers really easy, on your books it's gonna be an $80 expense and an $8 GST credit. So then when you charge the client to, to receive that, you need to charge them $80 plus GST. So you're going to receive $88 in and you've recovered your $88 out. Mm-hmm. I think where some people kind of overcomplicate it is they go, oh, I spent 88 so I'm going to charge 88 plus GST. So you've ended up collecting more than what you're actually out of pocket. Okay, yeah, sure. Um, Samantha asks, uh, what should I be asking my accountant in regards to JobKeeper? Good one. Not nothing. Leave your accountant alone. No, no, no. Um, seriously, joke. So, Samantha, it depends on whether you're an employee of a business or whether you are the business owner. Um, if you're the business owner, there's a whole kettle of fish. You need to know that registrations opened yesterday for JobKeeper, so you can apply for your business to be receiving those payments. Your business needs to have reduced 30% in revenue, either March versus March, April versus April, or there's a few other tests that are still coming out. Um, And before the end of April, you need to ensure that you've paid your eligible employees more than 1,500 a fortnight, at least for the two fortnights, if you are going to be asking to be reimbursed by the ATO in the first week of May. It is huge. There are so many T's and C's around what an eligible business looks like and what an eligible employee looks like. Um, So I guess, look, you need to be asking for as much information as possible. And if your accountant's not available to give it to you, it's the ATO is trying to make this as simple as possible. They've broken it down into eight steps of how to claim the JobKeeper on the ATO website. But again, you've got to jump on, have access to the business portal or access to MyGov and be able to flow through this application. And they do word it in confusing terms. I had a sole trader client Mm. yesterday say, you know, well, what does it mean by I need to have lodged by 12th of March? And they word it in a real complicated way. And it's like, well, either if you haven't lodged your 2019 tax return, you need to make sure you've lodged a couple of basses so far this year and if you haven't done either of those things it talks about making a basically an application to the ato commissioner for their discretion to say that you can still claim um so yeah and if you're an employee um i guess it's communicating with the the business owner or your the the business you work for and and talk to them saying you know i would like to be on JobKeeper. are you eligible are you going to imply apply and then the employee fills out an employee nomination form to claim through that business owner um yeah wow it's a long-winded answer to to the crazy job no, keeper th- thing but i think it was good it's i was, I was just going to say i think um as an employer as an employee it would feel like you were um 
it fe- it would feel uncomfortable because you don't like I'm having the conversation with you about JobKeeper, and as a director of the business, it's you know like it's it's only one step from me to you to then understand this stuff. Whereas I get the sort of frustration or the um, the feeling like you're unsettled based on not understanding is my is my boss going to then interact with the finance department that then interacts with their de- accounting team that then interacts with the you know the government which is and so it's like fuck even if you do send the email asking about JobKeeper that's where it'd be like yeah shit uh, is it going to happen are they that far down the track understanding that literally it's yesterday that it's come out and said Yep, now you guys can mm. actually put your applications in. And so it's like, yep. I guess it's now, it's like applications are actually open, so they should be submitting them if they are. Mm. And so you're hoping that you get a you know, truthful answer that isn't just you know, trying to comfort yep. your feelings and then it turns out that's and the not joy, the case, right? The joy of this is that applications open yesterday, but if you're going to be eligible, you need to have your application lodged by the 26th of April. So anyone who's kind of sitting back going, oh, I've got plenty of time to do this, applications just opened. If you want to be in that first round of payments in the first week of May, you've got until the 26th of April to get your application in. Dot your I's, Mm. cross your T's, sort out your payroll, do your single touch payroll, employee nomination forms, the whole shebang. Um, You know, for anyone who, you know, you don't have to be an RBK client, our blog on the website has these steps broken down as well under um, the JobKeeper update that we posted um, so you can grab some you know helpful information there and then take it on your way and sort out what you need to do um, but so you've only got till the 26th of April for business owners out there who want to be able to apply for JobKeeper and lock in their first payment in May but the thing that everyone needs to understand is it's a reimbursement for the money you've handed to employees already so you need to have paid 1500 per fortnight and then you're putting your hand back out to the ATO to be reimbursed and so, because yeah. I think that like the other interesting thing is that because this is so public, every gronk is hearing the news and obviously going to their employer and being like, hey, am I eligible for this or that? So, f- for instance, there, there's like, uh, I've got a mate who works a few out, like a younger dude works a few hours at a pool, would only get 50 bucks a week and sort of rubbing his hands together like I'm going to be... I'm going to be cashed up. I'm making going to get fifteen hundred, uh, you know, off this a fortnight. Is it for like? Is that a possibility? Like, does does that then mean the pool company would have to, um, or you know, the um, facility would have to back pay him that fifteen hundred per fortnight? Correct. So if he's been a casual employee for more than twelve months. The pool facility applies for JobKeeper and says, we want to be able to give JobKeeper to our eligible employees. They would need to pay the pool boy who would have made 50 bucks, 100 bucks a week. Mm-hmm. They need to give him 1500 a fortnight to be to then claim that 1500 a fortnight back. This is where it's caused a bit of, I guess, angst for employers. So you imagine, you know, the fish and chip shop, the cafe, the yeah. restaurant that may have 20 casuals that would earn 200 bucks a week. And all the all these casuals are calling the business owner going, hey, I heard that I'm entitled to 750 bucks a week. I want my JobKeeper payment without actually understanding that this poor business owner who's struggling to make ends meet because their business is shut yeah. down or next to shut down doesn't have that 1,500 bucks in their pocket per fortnight yet. So, you know, for an example, a business with 10 employees needs to find $30,000 in spare cash before the end of April. 
pay all those employees and then wait for the ATO to hand that money back. And the government's saying, that's okay, go to your bank and get a loan. And I don't know about you, yeah, but going to the ridiculous. bank and getting a loan in this kind of climate is, yeah. is not seeming like a very easy feat at the moment. So, yeah, it's it's complex. So, Samantha's question's a great one. And it's hot on the lips of, of a lot of people out yeah. there, that um, either business owners or employees. So, it's, it's relevant to everyone. Well, I think, Josh, that example was like the ripe end of the stick, if that's mm-hmm. the analogy of the opposite of the raw end of the... Mm. Raw end of the deal. Well, you're getting so the raw end of the deal you're being cashing in at that point. If you, you oh, you're massive. To, it's yeah. massive. Yeah, it's massively um, advantageous for for those people that are in that position. But the so the raw end of the deal is people who you know, like in the arts industry, where they make little bits of money here and there, and they're you know contracted for three months at a time. There's been a lot of sort of complaints from seemingly. Uh, wealthy arts people that are getting behind this you know conversation around like oh well, don't forget about the arts and stuff like that because well, they're speaking it's, it's about the crews right like they're, they're, you've got the, yeah. the super wealthy like arts people who then employ yeah. a bunch of people i guess it's it's you know that part which it's so funny because i see that and i i understand it's like fuck that is so annoying and it would be tough but then i think about us as a small business and the way we've tried to do it correctly is very fucking painful. Like for us to be able to get the three of us onto JobKeeper, that means we would have to have paid superannuation every single quarter, like PAYG, and it's like that is super tough. And the the trade-off with doing it like that is a lot of fucking friction. And so it's hard at this time to for people that walk out with the raw end of the deal that might have just done some casual work coming in and out. It's like... On one hand, I get it, and the other hand, I don't, because it's like there is also the job seeker payment, which is a, ta- a non-taxed version of the job keeper. We still have to pay our, you know, income tax on that, right? And so the other end, so hopefully, so the job keeper does is that a taxed payment? It's not a tax payment. I, I did say that, but is that yeah, correct? So yeah, it comes into you guys as income that you'll declare as revenue into your business. And then because you pay it out to your employees, it should be netting netting itself out. So there'll be an income coming in and an expense going out to the employees. And so the employee, yeah, so will they see yeah. 1500 or will they see, so that's post-tax? Yep. So you'll need to put, post it through payroll and payroll will calculate how much tax to withhold on the 1500 for that employee. Mm-hmm. Depending on their circumstances, yeah. so fifteen hundred is the gross amount. Um, but you know, for example, Mason may end up with thirteen hundred and fifty in his pocket, and one hundred and fifty dollars will be tax withheld that'll appear mm-hmm. on his payment summary at the end of the year. What does what does yeah. super mean in this this time? Obviously, people are pulling out their super. Is super contribution still happening with with this payment? Yeah. So if the employee was stood down and they weren't going to be earning any money and then you reinstate them to give them the 1500 JobKeeper, that 1500 is ex- like, there's no super payable on that 1500 if the employee was stood down. If the employee was already still working, you're gonna, you were always going to continue to pay them their salary and the 1500 is helping to subsidize their salary, you will still have to pay super as per normal. So there's a few different rules around that. But yeah, I guess the important one is if if the employee was stood down and they weren't going to get any money and you brought them back on just to give them the JobKeeper, your business won't be further out of pocket because of JobKeeper making you pay super. Mm -hmm. 
Um, we've got another uh, question from Ben who says, can I instant tax write off an iMac to my side hustle freelance business? I'm a sole trader. Yeah, so, you know, you're, you're working under your ABN, earning some money on the side. Um, perfect example, you've raised $10,000 worth of invoices and collected $10,000 um, at a tax rate of, I'm just going to make it easy for myself, 30 cents to the dollar. Um, you know, average rate of tax for Ben, he would have owed an extra $3,000 at the end of the year on his tax for his $10,000 profit. Now, if he goes and buys a Mac, and I'm going to make it even easier, he bought a $5,000 Mac. Um, what that happens there is that instantly deducts off his $10,000 profit. He's left with $5,000 left over to pay tax on. He pays an extra $1,500 tax. So he saved one and a half grand by going out and buying the new asset that he was able to write off using the accelerated depreciation rules um, for the instant asset write-off. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so, I mean, one of the complications that I never got my head around uh, was around if you are an employee and you have a side business, which is becoming more and more common, uh, the working out, okay, I've got uh, my, my phone bills, I've got all of these things, how do I split them up? Is there sort of a rule of thumb in regards to how to do that? So it comes down to you're meant to keep a diary um, and then a log of how you use your assets, whether it's for using it for your employed job as an employee and then using it on your side hustle. So it's really important to keep accurate records of of your use of that equipment or use of your phone and internet, let's say. Um, if you're using your phone, not really much for work to earn your wage because your work provides you with the ability to make calls through the, the work system, but you're using your phone flat out on your side hustle to use it to hotspot, generate income, phone calls, emails, text messages. You'd record how much of your phone bill per month is dedicated to working on that side hustle and you'd claim a, that percentage of your phone bill on your tax return against your side hustle income. Um, you know, and the ways of doing that's printing off your phone bill, highlighting all the phone calls, keeping a log and a diary of, of how long you're using your phone call, uh, phone for, for, let's say, hotspot and data. Um, but the better your records are and the, and the more records you keep, you know, the, the easier it is to sleep at night knowing that if the ATO ever came looking and said, hey, we want to know why you claimed 80% of your phone bill. Um, you know, if you've got records that reflect that you're on your phone all day, every day, your calendar reflects that, your diary reflects that, and you've printed off a few months worth of phone bills mm. that you can highlight 80% of it as work-related, happy mm. days. Yeah. I mean, you hear that, those kind of stories of people, of the tax department coming. The example you just gave there, how often are you actually seeing this where they're coming to people and going, all right, cough up the, cough up the info? Not often. I'd like to think, you know, the way the way we operate and the way we educate our clients of the records that they need means that, you know, we've got a real clean, real clean bill. Um, look, in the, that still happens. I mean, there's there's always just audits that happen because they pick a name out of a hat and you have to sit there and explain to the ATO why you claimed what you claimed. It's not super regular. <clears throat> even, excuse me, even in previous accounting firms I've worked for, it's not like one in 10 tax returns gets audited. I mean, you think about the the size and scale of our country and our economy and how many tax returns are lodged and then think about how it would be possible for the ATO to even look at, you know, 10% of them, 5% of them. Um, if I had to put it in numbers, oh, I don't even think I could. I, I, mm. I, 
yeah, I wouldn't even be comfortable putting into numbers, but it's not a regular thing. And if you're doing the right thing, I guess it's something you don't have mm. to be too concerned about. The people who do the wrong thing, I, I, my general rule of thumb is it's, it's going to catch up with you eventually. Um, you know, the yeah. HO audit period can be extended for a long time. And if you've done something wrong and they find you, they'll keep going back and back and back to dig up as much as they can. And I guess for their end, the beauty of their system is you're guilty until proven innocent when it comes to you know, the lodgement of your tax returns, if they turn mm. around and went, actually, we think you were collecting an extra $50,000 a year tax, they will lodge an assessment that you were receiving that extra $50,000 a year tax, and then it's up to you to prove that you weren't. Oh, how annoying. I mean, um, we Grant Smiley, who you would have danced to his music uh, quite, a, quite a bit, Jason, back in the day, like myself. Yes. We were at his um, restaurant in LA, and he was telling us that he has... Uh, audit insurance, which is quite common over in the States. Um, yep. Is that something we do here? I'd never heard of it before. Yep, definitely. So we're, you know, audit insurance, for example. Um, okay, let's use you, you guys, for example. You guys pick up audit insurance. You might pay a couple of hundred bucks for it. Um, and then the ATO sends us a letter and says, we want to review that big media company have paid all their superannuation on time. So, if you or I then had to go and spend hours digging up bank statements, paperwork, printing out zero records, and then sending that to the ATO, let's say I did that on your behalf and I raised you an invoice for 800 bucks for spending several hours of my time dealing with someone from the ATO acting on your behalf for the audit, you guys have got to pay that $800 invoice for my time. If you had audit insurance, I would send my $800 invoice to the audit insurance company and you guys would sail off into the sunset couple hundred bucks better off because you had ordered insurance yeah. so it's not a get out of jail free card it's not like no, if you cook the books it, you just you're covered with the yeah. insurance <laughs> no yeah it, it kind of yeah, is just you, because you it's, literally it's, just it's covered. jason's problem yeah you're only covered with basically your accounting fees um you still if you did something wrong you're still going to pay penalties to the ato you're still going to pay um charges of you know underpaid gst underpaid income tax you'll still pay everything that you are required to pay by law you're still going to be copying that um the only come thing on, that you kind of not <laughs> come on just do a couple years for me just do a couple years in jail for me we'll, we'll split together. i'll do two you yeah. do two <laughs> mate clean as a whistle nothing touches this you, you, you guys sign everything if anyone goes down <laughs> it's 97 <laughs> no no it's all running above board i mean this is why like all you have like to be honest I could do that thing about the um, super with a zero. Like these programs, yep. these you know, subscriptions, mm. are game changer. Like, like yeah. ridiculously game changing. Yep. Like I can press one button, it'll print off everything for for us. I mean, you would know where the button is. I would have to ask you where the button is, but you know what I mean? And there's a charge for that. There's a charge for that question. No, no, no. <laughs> no, and look, that, that, that was a real simple example. Look, the ones that get complicated might be a business that has seven motor vehicles and they haven't lodged a fringe benefits tax return and they let their seven vehicles, they're taken home by staff members that drive them to, you know, Mount Bullet to go snowboarding on the weekend and... You know, all of a sudden the ATO comes along and goes, well, those seven cars, someone's getting a benefit from having those cars in their driveway at home. Somebody has to pay tax on that fringe benefit and we're auditing you to figure that out. Now, going back and figuring out how those seven cars were used, if you don't have good records, where are the logbooks, blah, blah, blah. All of a sudden, that's a lot of 
work for someone to complete and there's a lot of liaising with the ATO to, to go back and forward to, to get those records correct. Um, so that might be a bigger example of where, you know, you, you don't want to be spending too much of your time or your accountant's time digging mm-hmm. through those kind of things. But anyway, I mean, um, uh, people are working from home a lot. Uh, there was a question from uh, Tim saying, I'm working from home more as a business owner. What's the tax implications of this? I guess as a broader question um, to sort of extend this, what are the tax benefits of actually having an office? Like we're considering uh, maybe we spend, like if we can free up, you know, 35, 40 grand a year in leases and have it at home, what are some of the considerations with this type of thing? Yeah, good question. Um, Let's talk about it from, let's say, an employee who's working from home now and is Mm -hmm. using their home internet and, you know, electricity, gas, whatnot. The simplest version for them is the ATO have upped the rate to 80 cents per hour. So you record how many hours you're working from home from the 12th of March to the 30th of June. Let's say you're working from home for, you know, 40 hours a week, mm-hmm. the 13 weeks times whatever it is. What you happens multiply with 97 that out. who works at home? So say like mum, dad, all that sort of thing. Like does one person claim it or can everyone claim it? Uh, everyone who works from home on their tax return can claim the 80 cents mm-hmm. per hour that they've worked from home. So that's a real, I mean, that's a bit like the set rate for driving a motor vehicle of 66 mm-hmm. cents per kilometre. What they do is they try and make it easy. You know, you, you calculate your hours worked from home and you multiply it by 80 cents and that becomes the tax deduction on your tax return. Um, as an employee, that's the most available record, uh, most available option for you. Um, as a business owner, that's where it gets a little bit more complicated. So, um, Working from home as a business owner, which was Tim's specific question, then goes down into, do you own your home or are you renting? If you own your home and you elect to claim the operating cost of your house, so you're claiming a portion of interest, phone bills, electricity, gas, internet, you know, all the running costs of your home, and you, let's say, you know, you say your office is 20% of the size of your property, and you claim that on your tax return, you claim 20% of the total cost of your house on your tax return. What happens then when you sell your house is that you have to pay capital gains tax on the portion of your property that was earning, helping you earn income. So that's where people who work from home who own their house have to be really careful with how they claim tax deductions for their home office. Because again, if, if as soon as you're using your home to generate income, and you're claiming it as a tax deduction, there's big issues when it comes to capital gains tax and the kind of records you're keeping and the tax you're paying when you sell your house one day. If you're a business owner and you're working from home and you want to keep that neat and clean, that's where you go back to that 80 cents per hour method and then claiming a small percentage of, let's say, the the bills that are actually attributed like phone bills or internet, which As our personal taxation rather than the company. So without doing it at the personal tax level then? Yeah, you want to be claiming it as a personal tax level to uh-huh. keep CGT free from your house. Okay. And so what would that look it's, it's like? A, so the capital gains tax a stuff. complex so, area. Yeah, so that means that like um, is it looking at your previous books and saying, okay, you've made X amount of money in a bit? Like how does, does it actually doesn't matter. Work? doesn't matter what, what you've made in your business. It's the percentage of your house that you treated as – a business asset as a business use so to a real life example you bought your house for five hundred thousand dollars 
and you decided that 20% of that was going to be used as your home office where you work, whether it's running a business, doing tax returns, doing childcare, whatever you're using that 20% of your house for. Now, 10 years later... Are you saying I can, business, I can you... turn my son into a business? Can I just say <laughs> I'm a childcare worker? 20%? No, no comment live on air. Let's talk later. No. Um, f- 10, 10 years down the track, your $500,000 house is worth a million dollars. You've made a $500,000 capital gain. Now, if your main residence was your main residence and you've never used that to generate income, you sell your million dollar house and it's tax free. That's your house. You've lived there with your family. You don't have to pay tax on that $500,000 profit you've just made. However, you've run a business there for the time you've owned the house. You've claimed 20% of those costs on your tax return. On that $500,000 capital gain, 20% of that now needs to go on your tax return for the ATO to tax you on. So $100,000 of extra capital gains income goes onto your tax return. Now, there'll be discounts and other things that I won't get into to bore the pants off uh, the viewers at home. But um, that's why it's real complex. Like you don't want to just go and claim all this stuff on your tax if you don't understand the consequences, especially mm. for, you know, claiming home office expenses mm. just because, and look, that's, that'll be a big one now with a lot of people turning to work from home and, and realizing, geez, I can run my business from home. Maybe I'll just claim, you know, all this stuff on my tax return not realizing that a few years down the track, you could really, you know, shoot yourself in the foot uh, when it comes to other tax consequences. Are there there a few of those ones? Like in regards to, like, I guess there's a lot of things that are being offered up right now. It's like taking out your super. What are some examples of things that look really good right now in the short term that in 6, 12, 18 months time or even, you know, 50 years time, if it's um, super, will actually... (coughs) be problematic yeah look i think um look touching on the super one ten thousand dollars in super at the moment so if you were to put let's say rather than take ten thousand out you put ten thousand in i think scott pape uses the example of someone in their late 20s early 30s puts ten thousand dollars into super that's the equivalent of around ninety to a hundred thousand dollars when you get to retirement age now reversing that if you go and pull again like for full disclosure, I'm not a financial advisor. Don't hold a financial advisory license. This is just general friends talking about mm-hmm. super here. If you take $10,000 out of super now because it's tax-free and you think you can prove that you're under financial hardship, you take $10,000 out now. What you need to think about is if I can't put that $10,000 back in, am I comfortable having $100,000 less when I retire? Because I guess when you think about it as $100,000 when I retire, it's more than just, oh, I can have a quick win and get ten grand now. In saying that, if you are under financial stress and you need that $10,000, talk to your financial advisor, talk to your accountant and figure out, is that the best option? Are there other... Oops, your audio. And... But... Do not disturb mode. That's that's yeah. The, the the biggest one at the moment, I think, is super. The early access to super. There's a lot of people who pull that ten grand out and spend it just because, you know, so I don't really like super and I don't really understand it. I think that would be, I guess, one of the biggest, you know, for the twenty-five to thirty-five-year-old clients even sometimes beyond is there is a lack of appreciation for what the super environment does in the tax tax world of how what $10,000 now is $100,000 later and, and how that works in compounding. Um, 
Outside of that, I mean, look, the, I don't know, crystal ball-wise, all of Stimulus, the job keeper, job seeker, working from home, all change, we know it in a way. And I look forward in a way to seeing us come out the other side of this in three or six months as an economy and as a country and react and, and push forward. A lot of opportunity for the people who look at it the right way. And there's a lot of like of really bad things that are happening that is happening, I feel, for a lot of people out there that are going to lose livelihoods. Do you, do you um, mind just chucking it on uh, Wi-Fi real quick? The uh, question that I want to ask in regards to that super stuff was in relation to pulling out super with the idea of then uh, I've heard cases of people getting it then like you get it tax free and then being able to do things uh, like um, reinvesting it the way that you want to. We'll just wait for um, Jason. To, uh, yeah, perfect. The um, uh, people pulling out the super and then doing uh-huh. their own investing with the idea that uh, it's um, – they're not getting taxed or whatever, or they're getting tax taxed benefit, at a lower yeah. rate, the tax benefits. Have you heard of situations like that? If So super, superannuation is taxed at 15 cents of the dollar. If you pull super out and you're going to invest the money in your own name, our personal tax rates are as high as $45. So it really depends on what you're earning and what your personal but um, I don't recommend that, that at all. I mean, most people are going to be hovering you know, most people are going to be earning, you know, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80,000. Mm-hmm. And when you're earning more than 37,000, you're taxed at 32 and a half cents to the dollar on, on your earnings over 37,000. So if you pull your 10,000 out of super where it's taxed 15 cents to the dollar and you start investing it yourself, you're going to be taxed 32 and a half cents to the dollar mm-hmm. on those earnings as an average, as an example. Um, I think that's where not enough people work with a financial advisor at any age, really. I mean, a lot, a lot of people just wait until it's a couple of years from retirement age and go, I should talk to a financial advisor now and see what my options are. Whereas getting it right in your late 20s or early 30s means you can go high growth and you can really lock in some good earnings for 20 years before flipping back to a more stable investment portfolio, which again, means talking to a financial advisor. Mm. Um, but I mean, th- that's the options that are out there. I mean, you, you don't need to just kind of sit super off to the side and go, oh, I can't touch it, so I don't need to be interested in it. If you are interested in investing and you like the stock market or property or, you know, ETFs and different portfolios, talk, you know, you can actually invest your super with your financial advisor in a way that makes you excited and you can watch it and see it grow. And um, I guess having that relationship with it might make you a little bit more excited about it and then using it for tax deductions. I mean, you know, you put $10,000 mm-hmm. into super as a tax deduction and it lowers your taxable income and stops you from paying as much taxes as you would. Mm. Papey, uh, Scott Pape has his sort of questions to ask a financial advisor or your current one, Is there, I mean, to find mm-hmm. a good one. Um, in terms of accountants, what do you think the questions to ask an accountant if someone's listening that they don't have one yet, they've been lodging their own things, but this is sounding too confusing. They want someone who has, you know, the knowledge to be able to look after, uh, you know, uh, um, submitting their tax return every year. What do you, what should you ask an accountant? Good question. Asking an accountant, you know, to explain something to you that you're generally interested in understanding. A lot of people don't understand how their taxes work, how Medicare levies charged, their help repayment. They kind of just 
hand over their documents, get the result at the end of the year and don't understand it and sometimes walk away a little bit like, oh, my refund was less than last year or more than last year. I don't get it, but I'm just going to deal with it because it's just been handed to me and I'm meant to trust that. If you ask questions, how is that explained to you? So having a genuine interest in, in your taxes and, and how it's calculated and, and how that's understood, you want to be able to have that explained to you in terms that you can understand. I guess as well, knowing how you're charged, you know, is if your tax return takes 15 minutes or one and a half hours, is it the same fee? Are you charged a flat fee, an hourly rate? Um, do you even care how you're charged? Uh, you know, questions for an accountant, it's, I guess it's, what you know, throwing it back to you guys, what are questions that you were interested in asking an accountant? And I guess as business owners or individuals, it might be a little bit different, but yeah, I'm curious. I mean, I know we we had some pretty decent chats at the start. I think it's the real world problems. I want to just have like start actually testing the relationship rather than it being some sort of hypothetical actually showing our books and saying, hey, this is what's happening or we're having this issue here and seeing how we can all problem solve together, I think is, was super beneficial. Yep. Yeah, the communication, um, uh, getting a response is mm. always nice. <laughs> but, but no, just actually being able to talk through your situation. Mm. And I guess it's different though, because our need as a small business at this stage is different to what it is for a freelancer who um, has the mindset of, I'm not making enough money to need an accountant. Yeah. And so yeah. that's, but, but then at that point, it's like those people probably also say, I'm not making enough money to justify paying $50 a month for zero, which yep. I think is massively remiss not to mm. um, invest in something like that. But yeah, I mean, what do you think, when do you think it's appropriate for somebody who thinks that they can do it themselves like a Mr. 97 uh, or should go and seek, you know, guidance from a business like yours? Look, a business that's worth its weight in gold, will there will be a value exchange. So, you know, Sevs, if he does his own tax return, I'm pretty confident that if him and I sat down doing next year's tax return and I looked back at last year's tax return, we'll identify things that were opportunities that were missed in his circumstance and his scenario where we'll be able to optimise his return to either get him a better return or fill it out more correctly so that he feels more comfortable. Um I definitely think, you know, all, all professionals that are good at what they do are going to be, there is going to be a value exchange. So I guess it's, if you don't, if you think you don't make that much money and you might not need a tax accountant or a tax agent, having that initial conversation to say, hey, this is my circumstance. Do you think you can help me? And and have that conversation and see if what the potential is. Um you're going to work it out pretty quick if there's something that you're missing or something you're going to learn. And, you know, to hand over a couple of hundred bucks to get a tax return done and begin a relationship, I think that's what's worked really well for us is we, we didn't have, at the, at the start and even now, we don't have a, oh, you're too small for us, we can't work with you. So if it's just once a year we sit down and do your individual tax return or your sole trader or freelance tax return, that might be the one touch point we have this year. And then it might be another year goes by and we just chat one more time. But then through those couple of engagements and and conversations, I guess it's feeling comfortable knowing that if you've got a question during the year, pick up the phone and call me, drop me an email, shoot me a text. And the relationship builds and builds and all of a sudden you feel comfortable going, shit, I've got that question. I don't know whether I should buy this or, or should I be doing it this way? And they'll pick up the phone and call us 
and then all of a sudden the sole trader becomes a company or a trust the freelancer becomes gst registered we're lodging basses we're referring them to our financial advisors to help them with their super fund but that relationship doesn't start and grow unless you just get on the front foot and engage someone even if it's for one job a year um so you can start small i, I guess to to summarize all that start small engage someone that you get along with form a relationship so that you can start to ask the questions that you're curious about and not have to rely on i guess jumping online to forums and groups and doing all the reading yourself and hoping that you understand because man there's a lot out there there's a lot out there that that even there's days where i have to read it 17 times go really is that really what the ato wants us to do it seems like the um the financial advisory stuff I always find a little bit harder in regards to what am I getting? It's a little bit longer term. It feels like there's a, a lot more sort of bad players amongst that space. Um, uh, Steve asked the questions, what's the difference between an accountant and a financial advisor? Um, and are there people who do both? What's what's your perspective on how we can say, even where we're at with working with you as an accountant, how does it sort of transition on to be sort of the more advisory so there are people that do both um i how do i want to frame this i guess if you had a a mechanic that services your car would you then want that mechanic to also service your boat um don't know if that's a good analogy or a good example but just because i'm looking out at a car and a boat i thought i thought that would make sense (laughs) I think, you know, have, so what's the deal yeah, with well, <laughs> having someone who, who does your, your business advice, your tax advice, your tax minimization, your, your advisory around the day-to-day running of your business and where your business is going is your, your accountant and your business advisor. A financial advisor focuses on things such as your superannuation, your personal insurances, um, and I guess your long-term wealth planning strategy and then even your short-term saving strategy as well for things like purchasing a house. Financial advisory, for example, those insurances, I guess for you, Josh, you know, you might say, look, I'm not too sure about getting involved in a financial advisor now. Again, it's not something that has to cost a lot of money short-term. It's something your super fund can pay for as well. And if invested correctly, you'll more than make your gains back on your super fund. And how do you feel about it? Because I was always funny about that where it's like, okay, Anytime I hear accessing super, it seems like it can be this easy decision. But you hear uh, Scott Pape talk about the fee, like, you know, fees and things like that. And I'm like, yep. am I just draining so my super? Yeah. So there's there. if you go to the wrong financial advisor, their fee structure will be too high. They'll suck the life out of your super fund. Um, so you want to make sure you're engaging someone who's going to work with you long term with really low fees and low cost products that are invested the right way. So again, it's part of that educating and surveying a few providers or talking to your accountant and going, well, who should I work with and can you help me assess the fees in what's involved? Um, you know, my personal situation, I, I, I took a long time to, to sit down with a financial advisor and do it myself. It was the age old mechanics car is the worst car on the road. I, I was busy. I put it off. I, I wasn't interested in doing it. But then you, you see examples like a friend gets diagnosed with cancer and, and goes through all sorts of shit. And it's like, well, how's that related to my super fund? Like, what, what does that even mean? So in your, generally in your super fund, you're going to have insurances being income protection insurance, trauma insurance, total and permanent disability, and life insurance. So if you don't know what portion of those insurances you have 
let's say something happens to you, Josh, and you were to pass away, what what gets left for Bree? Bree? Like, what does she get? Do you have any insurances at all? If you had a mortgage, is your mortgage going to be looked after? They're the kind of questions that working with a financial advisor, they're going to put those hard questions to you. If you're hit by a bus and you become a paraplegic, do you have total and permanent disability insurance where you'll be paid hundreds of thousands of dollars You know, at the point where you become a paraplegic to help you deal with mm. making changes to where you live so that you have a, a lift or, or you know, a ramp instead of stairs? There's all things that happens inside the super realm with these insurances that not a lot of people understand or get. Um, and it's starting to have those conversations to go, these are important. Like, you know, if, if you don't know if you have life insurance or income protection, the tradie is an example of tradie goes to work, he's a sole trader, has a missus and kids at home paying a mortgage and falls not on a job site, let's say, you know, gets injured and, and does his knee playing footy and can't work for six months. Where does that family get income from? Income protection insurance mm-hmm. is an example. If you've got the right insurances, you, your income will continue to be paid. Um, so they're all conversations for a financial advisor. An accountant can be involved if they have the right licenses and can frame the conversation the right way. Um, but, the, I mean, they brought out rules around financial advice and, and who can give it and who can't. There's some pretty strict licensing requirements around that just to make sure. Because back in the day, as you noted, Josh, like it's, you know, you feel like there's sharks out there that are just going to mm-hmm. take your money. Um, it's well, way more regulated now than what it was five or ten years ago. So, you know, those those bad advisors and sharks are generally disappearing at the moment and the good ones are kind of rising to the top. How do you work with a financial planner when you want to do things like invest yourself or you've got these specific index funds? How do you sort of keep that control and the transparency and sort of... I mean, because I feel like a lot of financial planners would be like, okay, here's our investments, let's put your money in our investments. How do you work with them to be like, okay, I actually want to invest in this US index fund or something like that? Yeah, a lot of it's around the statement of advice. So if they're going to be managing the investment for you, it'd be setting the plan on your risk profile, what assets you're comfortable with, and then kind of handing over the keys to them and letting them move forward with it. You can be involved in having conversations with them around chopping and changing. But if you wanted to make quick decisions day to day, a lot of that relies on, because of the rules around statement of advice and ensuring that the, the recommendations they're giving you fit to your profile and fit within the rules, it's a little bit harder if you're chopping and changing your investments day in, day out. So that's something you might manage yourself with a tailored plan that they might help you write and provide you. But if they're managing it, it's kind of managed a different way where um, it's more not a set and forget, but you're setting up a plan and allowing them to play within the rules that you guys have written together based on your risk profile. An example, so you know, with everything that's happened with COVID-19 at the moment, what's happened in the stock market, my financial advisor contacted Casey and I um, and said, there's an opportunity to move the way your fund is managed. Um, I need to write you a new letter of advice to get you to sign off on it to make sure it's all above board. Um, I've called you to communicate with you. This is why, this is how, this is any change in fees, and this is the benefit we're going to get. But he still needs to go and write that all in writing and get myself and uh, my fiance to sign off on it. But that's without a financial advisor. Right now, my funds are just be sitting in whatever it was sitting in before COVID-19 happened. And where there's an opportunity in the market right now, who's really acting in my best interest if I'm not 
you know, going to be the one that goes out and does it myself. That's where my financial advisor steps up and says, you pay me a small fee. I've got your back. We're going to make these changes and you're going to be better off for it in the long term. Um, Structures, uh, companies, sole traders, trusts. um, There's probably a bunch of people who are sole traders who see see their mates doing trusts or things like that and think, oh, maybe I need to set it up. Who are the – like if you were to describe those structures, what are some of the key elements or benefits for for each of those? I guess – as a sole trader or a partnership or any of those kind of structures where you are the personal individual doing the business, that's where as soon as you've proven the concept and you've proven that that's, it's a working business, it's profitable, it's what you want to be doing, the conversation is you don't be stuck in a structure where there is personal liability and your personal assets are up for grabs. Um, as a sole trader, your house, your personal bank account, your personal car, it's all in your name and the business is you. It's your name. Um, if something goes pair, you get sued, all that stuff can be up for grabs. Um, companies and trusts and, and structures of those realm, I'll keep it simple to just trust or companies. Um, limited liability, depending, you know, a trust with a corporate trustee and then a company as well. You know, you've got a director, you've got shareholders, you've got a company tax rate. The benefits around that are protecting your personal assets for a company, let's say, and a trust. Uh, In a company, you're capping your tax rate at 27.5%. You then need to pay the owners in wages, dividends. You know, there's compulsory superannuation. The costs of running a company are higher, but the trade-off is that you've got asset protection and the ability to do more tax minimization and tax planning with a company. Um, For a trust, um, the trust does the trading and creates the profit, but needs to be paid out to beneficiaries. So uh, a little bit more complicated in the way that it runs and the way that it, well, not more complicated in the way it runs, more complicated the way it's taxed because there there is no tax in the trust because you've got to pass the profits out to beneficiaries. If you leave money behind, it's taxed way too high. So... I guess when you start to become more sophisticated as a business owner and look to move from sole traders to companies and trusts and unit trusts and then even getting your own self-managed super fund on top of that, that's where having a good relationship, having the advisor, having conversations to understand all this becomes super important. Um, We've got a lot of clients that come to us with these structures and when we say to them, hey, cool, you know, why, why is it done that way? Why have you got this here and the trust there and the company there? And they turn around and go, I've got no idea. My accountant just set it up that way. And, you know, I, I just trusted that it was right. Mm-hmm. The education part of it's super important because if you're going to be running that structure day in, day out, and you're going to sign off as a director, it's really important that you understand why you're structured that way and what it means if something goes right or wrong or there's tax to pay and super to pay um you got to understand your obligations as a business owner and as a director mm. makes sense it's um i mean it, yeah it's it's complex and it's 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 changing too because i guess when you start out you're like i'll just be a sole trader because i'm not thinking about you know the big mm-hmm. picture and and is there any is there any detriment to having that approach of like oh, i may as well get started and get myself an abn and be a sole trader is there a detriment to doing that approach? No, no, in a sense. I mean, that's that's how majority of great businesses started. I mean, and even at the moment, if if you're unsure or if you're testing the waters and trying it out and you want to get kick-started as a sole trader, it's low barrier to entry, 
low cost, you get your ABN, you get a business name, you can do it all either for free, relatively free online or a couple of hundred bucks or engage your accountant. Shouldn't be too much more expensive than that anyway. And you're ready to go. You, you've got a business name and an ABN and, and you're off. You can start raising invoices for people and doing your thing. When you're going to set up a company and a trust and whatnot, you, you are looking at a thousand, two thousand, three thousand, depending on how complex your structure is, and then your annual accounting engagement becomes more expensive. Your annual cost to ASIC becomes more expensive. So there's not a lot of people that rush out on day one forming a brand new business and go, I'm going to be a company, and hand over all that money. And then you know sometimes you get a couple of months in and go, this isn't working. This isn't for me. You know you go back and get the job, or you go back to working with someone else. Um, so sole trade is more than fine to start off with, but the general rule of thumb is you prove the concept, you prove that it works, and you start to take on any form of risk, assets, and liabilities. You don't want to stay a sole trader for too long. Uh, to finish Jace, up, um, Chase, the are you go, TJ? I was just going to say, I think um, just in terms of debt and business, you look at what's happening with Virgin Australia at the moment. They're five billion dollars in debt i think it was something ridiculous like that and they're seeking a 1.4 billion dollar injection of money to keep them going i think the first thought is how the fuck is a business that scale that far down in debt and it makes you think how are they even running in the first place is is that like i think i me coming to that conclusion is probably the the thing that all dummies are doing right now is like they shouldn't have been running anyway they're in so much debt in terms of debt in a business, does a high level of debt mean the business is actually, uh, you know, gone pear-shaped or is it not that simple? Definitely not that simple. Look, de there needs to be a great balance between debt and equity in a business. Looking at a business like Virgin Australia, my very high level understanding at the moment, just on something I saw on Twitter, so don't take this as gospel, <laughs> is they leased all their planes. So when you lease all their planes, you, you have a lease agreement that says that you can have this plane for this many years and it's going to cost you this much money. So you multiply that out over hundreds of planes at hundreds of thousands of dollars a year, they've got to make their lease repayments. And the, the debt of five or six billion is most likely a big chunk of that is their financial obligations on the leases of those planes for the next years ahead. Um, I don't necessarily think it's it's a $6 billion negative red hole necessarily on their balance sheet right now. If But it's if they had to pay all those leases out, they owe $6 billion over a period of time. Um, the other thing with Virgin, that's, Virgin Australia that's interesting is all its foreign ownership. It's owned by all these overseas, overseas airlines. Um, there's very minimal, if any, Australian ownership or very minimal Australian ownership anyway. So I think people are kind of kicking up a stink going, Oh, don't let a foreign country come in and buy Virgin Australia, but quite a huge percentage of it is already foreign owned. Mm -hmm. um, sad to see it happen. I mean, the, obviously they relied on the day-to-day -day operations to, to pay their bills, like a lot of businesses that run up debts and, and run up leases and loans and things like that. Um, yeah, big, big interesting case. But And also, I think the other thing that gets thrown around is they paid $0 tax in Australia in the way of income tax on profit. Uh, another one of those those big foreign-owned companies that paid zero dollars tax. You know, I think you look at you, there was a big list, and at the top of it was Apple that on something like nine billion dollars profit paid 120 million dollars tax, and then there was a list of seven or eight other companies that paid zero dollars tax. 
and it just makes you wonder in, in billions of revenue and hundreds of millions of revenue why there is $0 income tax. It feels like um, this is the time too when the government is bailing companies out. This is what they should be looking at. This is the time to sort of uh, to check and, and see if they've been supporting the, the economy in regards to tax. Mm. Mm. Um, Bloody oath. Uh, the, yeah, to f- finish it off, small businesses, uh, business owners, you would be speaking to a lot of them. What's the biggest bit of you know, knowledge gap or one thing that you wish every small business owner knew or maybe even something that you wish you knew at the beginning of your journey? Oh, that's what, what I wish I knew at the beginning of the journey is that running a business is so much more complex and so much harder than what you probably anticipate on day one. And you guys can probably attest to this too. Um, The idea of, you know, I like business or I like business advice or I like tax, so I should run a business. Everything else that flows on from running a business in relation to, you know, hiring employees, what happens when you hire employees, engaging customers, what are the agreements? Like there's, it, it goes off on so many tangents that are so much more complicated than the initial thought of you like doing something, so you start a business and you think you can make money off it. Um, businesses are complex. Business is hard. It's definitely not easy. You work your ass off um, and you've got to be prepared for it. You've got you to really want it or the businesses that don't work are the ones that, that didn't really want it bad enough in the first place. Um, for, every, for in a more, That's kind of my personal spin on it. In a more general thing for clients that come to me or clients that come to us, I wish they took more care in a way of, of wanting to understand things for themselves and wanting to know that, like their own knowledge. I guess it's times like these when things go a bit pear-shaped that you can't just rely on somebody else to do everything for you in a way. Um, and I hope that doesn't sound rude or wrong, but th- there's there's a responsibility on a business owner to understand their situation, what they've got themselves into, if they hire employees, employment contracts and agreements and pay rates, that you just gotta you gotta be able to understand it and know mm. know what's going on. And if you don't engage someone, ask questions, learn more, um, and work with someone, work together as a team. Um, and when shit goes pear shaped, don't kind of blame everyone else. It's it's yeah. sits with you. I think that's the massive difference. Having worked with RBK now is the fact that you promote the education part of it. I think for so long. Uh, especially having started a business when I was 14, it, it felt very hard to ask questions of accountants or there was sort of a closed book or there was all this magic that they were doing. And I think that, that what uh, Tommy and I have respected uh, with what you guys are doing is that you're actually, you see the power in us knowing and in passing on that knowledge and becoming experts in business rather than just sort of outsourcing and hoping for the best. Well said. Um, but yeah, great. Mate, it's been so good having you on. I mean, we've been wanting to do it. We thought let's get uh, six months down of, uh, uh, you know, working together bef- before we chuck you on to the, to the show. But we've, um, yeah, we, I mean, this is, the, this is the sort of conversations that we're constantly having anyway. And I think um, something like COVID-19 makes you appreciate having a, a great accountant. Are you guys still, mm. are you open for new clients at the moment or like is it just yeah of course of course yeah look it's 
It is crazy, and there will be that kind of, you know, bear with us for being able to be booked in, being able to have conversations with with different directors and different, um, you know, client managers at RBK. Uh, we're all fantastic at what we do, and, and yeah, the doors are definitely open, and, you know, we, we want to be able to help people. Um, so anyone who's concerned or, or thinks they need a, need a hand and want to reach out, jump onto mm. RBK's site and jump onto the Get In Touch form and one of our amazing team will reach out and, and we'll get you sorted. So Sev, can we just start um, forwarding the uh, the mailing list uh, email that they send us out to our Gronks because they're really handy. <laughs> yeah. they, they're across oh, everything, to be honest. Yeah. They're well designed. Love it. Yeah. That's so good. <laughs> Thanks very much. Yeah, push them out, push them out. I'm happy about that. <laughs> yeah, That's yeah. great. Uh, it's a daily talk show, RBK Advisories, uh, Jason Robinson. Thank you for joining us. Uh, we'll see you in the afternoon, guys. Have a good one. See you, guys. Beautiful. Cheers, guys.